0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and today's episode features the Bonhoeffer Project. Executive Director Cindy Perkins interviews Bill Hall, who is the founder of the Bonhoeffer Project, along with Dan Lights, which is the CEO. They are asking and answering the question why bother with discipleship? And I absolutely love their answers. I found this episode to be super helpful personally, especially when they dive into what it looks like for the everyday Christian who doesn't work at a church and wants to follow Christ and make disciples where they live, work, and play. What does that look like? Do we quit our jobs and become fishers of men? What do we do? Bill and Dan talk about this after the break, so make sure to stick around for that. All right, here we go with this episode. Again, this is Cindy, Bill, and Dan about whether discipleship makes a difference. Here we go.
1: Well, hello there, and welcome again to the Collective Conversation. We're so excited that you have joined us. My name is Cindy Perkins, and I get the privilege of serving as the Chief Operating Officer for the Bonhoeffer Project, and I have with me today Bill Hull, who is the founder of the Bonhoeffer Project and uh, our resident guru on discipleship. That's what, That's what I would call him. Uh, and Dan Lights, who is the incoming leader and CEO for the Bonhoeffer Project. So uh, you'll, you can find out more about that on our website, thebonhoefferproject.com. But today, uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for joining. Hey, thank you. Thank you. So today I want us to talk about the topic, why bother with discipleship? So I'm going to start with that question. Why bother with discipleship? Which one of you wants to go first today?
2: It's, um, I suppose, um, you know, it's a good question because there are people who think it's just about nomenclature that this whole discussion. Is about, well, you could be yielded to Christ, you could be abiding in Christ, you could be walking with Christ, you could be evangelizing for Christ, you could be a missionary for Christ, or you could be a disciple of Christ. And that's to misunderstand and conflate everything that the Bible is teaching. And so, why bother is, well, I think probably the condition of the church right now is the answer to the question, why bother? If you look at the church right now in America in particular, but Western civilization in uh, general, you will find that the church is weaker than it has been in a very long time. It is more accommodating. It is more easily led by the culture That we have been out-discipled by the culture and the main domains of the culture. That the theological and philosophical left own the culture. And we're like the people standing at the train station and the train is left and we miss the train and that train represents the culture. And we're not on board. And uh, we're losing our influence. And Whereas 20 years ago, fifty percent of people in America, when surveyed, not that people tell the truth on surveys, but was they were being surveyed, they said that they identified in some way as a Christian or the Christian way of thinking. Now that has down to 25 percent. So I can't I say why bother? We haven't bothered. and years ago, I was invited back to the theological school that I, studied at, and they were, uh, and I started off the talk, and I said, I've been gone for 35 years, and what, essentially, I've been developing this question, and the question is, why does the church insist on trying to reach the world without making disciples? And we've tried a bunch of other things, and they haven't worked very well, because the the product or the player, if you like, that we put on the field is subpar. And that every church makes disciples, but it's the kind of disciples that we make. And uh, so I I think that uh, I will turn this over to Dan in, in a moment just after one more comment. And that is, if I'm looking in the Bible for who I should be listening to, then I would say that I choose Jesus because he is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. He is the smartest person who ever lived. He tells us everything we need to know, and in the last chapter of Matthew, he leaves us with here's what his disciples, the 11 who met him on the, on the mountain, here's what he tells them. It's not going to surprise anybody listening to this or watching this event today. But what he says is that I want you to make disciples. And I want you to think about one more thing. I'm not going to go through and exegete this entire passage for you. But the point is that he what this passage is not about, about the disciples becoming disciples. It's about already disciples making disciples. And without, and I'm going to turn Dan over to you and uh, let you uh, wax eloquent. Well, I thank you,
3: Bill. And I, I really appreciate those words because what you ended with is exactly where I wanted to start. And that is, we do it. Why bother? Because Jesus told us to. I mean, if you want to talk about a mandate, uh, you want to talk about uh, the instruction book, Jesus said, do it. And I think we have, um, as a church as a whole, Western church in particular, have programatized uh, disciple making into these uh, easily digestible boxes. Uh, we check the box. Uh, we're disciples because we go to church. We're disciples because we lift our hands. We're disciples because uh, we don't cuss as much as we used to. I mean, there's so many different ways that we can justify our own um Moral behavior, and and look at it as a proof text for being disciples. And I think uh, the church, as Bill has stated, has done a, a very poor job of making disciples in terms of intentionality. I mean, I would say there's many disciples that have been made unintentionally. Uh, sometimes I think we're even surprised that we made one because we didn't we didn't set out to do it. Um, or we we did uh, passively instead of intentionally. And so for me, it's, it's going back to the Great Commission, uh, the Great Commandment, the Great Commission. We got to love our neighbors, uh, love people, and then make disciples. And to me, I think it's so important that as a, a demonstrative uh, life of living the Great Commission and living the Great Commandment, when we go make disciples, it is the proof that we are loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. So for me, it just, it's a fulfillment of the great commandment and the great commission.
1: So Dan, Bill uh, made the the comment that um, the culture has taken over mm. and because the church has stood by and watched. What would you say to people who, and, and I have heard these comments recently, mm-hmm. Um, Christians who feel like all is lost and we've waited too long to step mm-hmm. in. What would you say to those people?
3: Well, I, I don't think we've waited too long. I think um, this is Jesus's church. He's, uh, he, he's going to sustain it. And, and that doesn't mean we do nothing, but it means looking at what we've done and seeing that that, as Bill stated, hasn't worked. Um, we've done massive crusades, we've done professions of faith, we've done mass baptisms, but the church seems to be getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And it's because we're not focused on um people, we're focused on numbers. Um, we're focused on you know, increasing the numbers instead of increasing the life of Christ and the Holy Spirit's work in people. And I, I agree. I mean, there has been a lot of cultural influence in 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 an attempt to be re- relevant i would say within the culture we have adopted a lot of the cultural aspects of this world and and infused them into our churches in an attempt to appeal where jesus basically said you're you're not going to be appealing to this world you're i mean to a certain extent the people who are looking for christ are going to find him because i want the church to be different when I find people in my church are coming from the world, they're not coming to the church to find something that mirrors the world. They're coming to find something different because they've done the world for so long and they've realized it doesn't work. So they need churches that don't adopt the world structure and don't adopt um, all the vernacular and, and just the, the trying to be so hip and cool. They're looking for something that's countercultural, and the church and being a disciple is that counterculture.
1: It is. So, Bill, why does discipleship seem so slow? I get a lot of people that talk to us about the fact that, man, this is hard work. This is so slow. Why does it have to be so slow?
2: (laughs) Well, I think that's the rhythm of the creative order. Think about everything. People grow slowly. Uh, It takes what eighteen years for a person to usually reach their full height? Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, trees that you plant take twenty years to grow into large trees, more that provide shade. It's all around us. The all of creation is you have to be patient and wait, and in. Um, in agrarian culture in which Jesus lived, he talked about a tree, you know, a fig tree, or he talked about seeds being sown on the ground. He talked about wheat growing up and in a field. Uh, it, all these agrarian kinds of things and everything. There's a season, he said, that there's still... Everybody says, you know, you have to wait for four months and then there's a harvest, but I'm telling you already that there's a the fields are white to harvest. So you know, using all of these analogies and metaphors, it's it's clear that humans, we we are formed slowly. And so that's why community is so important. And that's why you know everybody has a spiritual formation, and it takes years to develop that person. And so when the Bible talks about maturity, it's talking about a lifetime. Because one of the things that's interesting, I've lived now, I'm into my, uh, well, I'm I'm over 70 years of age, let's put it that way. And, you know, the things that you're always surprised by, uh, when you're 30, you can't really imagine being 70. And then when you pass 70, you think, well, now some of these temptations, some of these problems um, that I'm having now as a 30-year-old, those are going to go away. And actually, they don't go away. They just change. And and so uh, all of life, you're discovering new things. You're finding new things you have to trust God for. And uh, when you talk to somebody 30 years old about their future, they can say, well, the next 20 years, the next 30 years I hope to be doing this. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, well, I don't even think about the next 30 years or the next 20 years. You know, you're thinking about, well, I hope I'm still kicking Thursday. So the, the, the thing is that, that, there's new ways of growing and developing It never really stops. And it's all this process. But I think, though, in a church, to be more specific, or in any kind of ministry with an individual, that a person can become, spiritual generations can go faster than normal generations. And I think people can reach a certain level of maturity pretty fast. Uh, But then, all of life that continues to, to be formed. But I think that's, it, it's, it's just like you get in a hurry and you got to have everything uh, microwaved and we want instant character and we want instant growth and we want all those kinds of things and it just doesn't happen that way.
1: Dan, you got anything to add there?
2: Well, same thing.
3: Our, our fast-paced society has gotten so sped up that everybody, you know, there's kind of like, hey, I need to take a vacation to slow down, slow down, slow down. We are so much more productive in terms of just volume that we're doing in a day-to-day basis. But what is it really produced, right? Everyone's more tired, more angry, more irritable. Uh, no one it has kind words or, or soft words for anyone. I mean, uh, just it, it's it's crazy to see how Eating things up has actually made everything worse, and so we're, we're looking to try to uh, make disciples with a, a pill. You know, here, just take this pill, uh, do this for the next month, um, and and you should be good. And it, that's not how Jesus made disciples, and it shouldn't be how we make
2: disciples. Yeah, you know, if you keep if you keep taking shortcuts, you always it takes longer because you always have to go and start over again, yeah.
1: or you miss something really important along the way. Yeah, right, we, we found that out with my daughter when she was young. She was uh, double promoted in school, and we figured out when she hit about 10th grade that she could only tell time on an analog clock because she missed the lesson
0: mm-hmm.
1: that Potter had I mean, on a digital clock because she missed the lesson for an analog clock, right? And so we we don't even know sometimes as disciplers what we are um what we are missing for or helping our people to miss by trying to speed that piece up. So we talk a lot in the Bonhoeffer project about the slow life and about that process of allowing God to be God in our lives. So Dan, how can we convince people? And I say convince people in our church that they need to be involved with discipleship. You've recently experienced this. Yes.
3: Well, again, I think it's, it's this idea. And and I don't want to, here's what I don't want to do. And I want to make sure that everybody hears me out on this. I don't want people to necessarily question whether or not they are a disciple. I think one of the things that we can um, go too hard on is if you don't do this program or this thing, you won't get your badge and you can't be a disciple. Or if you Uh, aren't wearing the badge the way we give it to you. It's not true discipleship, but it's really a call to follow. Um, It's a call to to self-examination. Examine your life. Are you following? Because I think it's one of the things too that I I, uh, love and appreciate about the word of God. I can teach the word of God, but if I'm teaching it for the hope that at some point people will, Understand it enough to ask uh, and answer trivia questions about it. I'm doing the wrong thing. The point of the Word of God is to ingest it, to get it into you, so that it then produces something out of you. So that's the question. It's 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 looking. It's examining. Like when I do discussion questions for our church, the questions aren't geared towards trivia. Hey, what did I say? Hey, what was that reference? Hey. What was that quote that I gave? No, it was, how is this being applied in your life? And I think through that process, it gets people to understand and recognize, maybe I'm not the follower that I thought I was. Because again, we can get comfortable, we can get complacent, we can get very um, just apathetic in in our walk on a day-to-day basis to the point where we think we're good but we've stopped growing. We've stopped the sanctification process. We pressed pause on the whole thing and said, I think I'm good right here. I'm comfortable. There's no big issues. I asked my church a couple of weeks ago. I said, has the enemy started leaving you alone? Are you no longer a threat in the kingdom? It's probably because you've stopped growing. You have found a place that's comfortable. You've decided to just hang out there because it's easy and you're no longer growing or making more disciples. So it's it's really just showing people based upon scripture, are you indeed following or have you parked?
1: Bill, you have something to add to that?
2: No, not specifically on that. I, I was thinking that uh, Dan's a pastor mm-hmm. and that's gonna be something different in a leader uh, for the Bonhoeffer project but that's made possible by your great leadership, Cindy. But I was thinking in terms of, uh, Dan, your church is a large church. It's been around a while, you've been there a long time. And uh, how are you shaping that church to rethink the gospel? Well,
3: my my favorite thing, there was a, a book that I read a long time ago, um, and uh, it's, uh, it's called Tactics, um, and it's, it's a book that he has this one. It's more of an apologetics book, but it's, it's got a great section in there on what he calls the Columbo tactic, which is asking questions. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to do because when you ask questions, people love giving you their opinion. Uh, Anyway, the the book's by Greg Kokel, I just remembered, sorry, uh, so if you're wondering what that is. But he's got a chapter, it's called The Columbo Tactic. If you ever watched that old show, Columbo would just ask questions. And by asking questions, you can either get people tangled up, you can get people to, to kind of question their own philosophies. So I find that just asking questions, so all throughout my sermons usually are questions. So where are you at on this? How is the Lord ministering to you here? What do you see as the fruit of your life in this area? Are you growing over here? Are you not? And and it really, it actually, through just a, a series of questions, gets people to understand, oh, I'm not where I thought I was. Because again, one of the enemy's greatest tactics is to get us deceived, thinking we're fine when we may not be. Um, so, you know, whether it's through that, again, that's how I would say is is done a lot of the work just in the... Congregation through the teaching, but then it's sitting down with people one on one, explaining it to them, um, talking to people about what it means to be a disciple. Uh, What you find, or what I've found, is everyone. uh, I I haven't found anyone who said, "Oh my goodness, discipling—that's terrible. Like this is the worst thing I've ever heard. What kind of program is this?" No one said that. Everyone's usually agreeable right off the jump, but. When you ask them the harder questions, well, what is a disciple? What constitutes a disciple? How do you know if you've made one? Are you ever complete? Right? When you start digging a little more just with these simple questions, you find that people generally have wondered that themselves, but they never put the verbiage to it. They never put the language to it. And then when you start giving them definitions and going through the word of God with them, they start going, wow, you're right. Like, We've been either unintentional with our disciple making. Um, and again, not a, not a lack of heart or desire, but a lack of intention or a lack of direction. And so setting people up for success, I think is the best way to get people on board, but it's not, and again, it goes back to the question we had before. It's not a fast process. Um, people need to slow down because what happens to, again, the secondarily people get eager, people get really zealous they want to do the program. Let's figure this out. Let's make a disciple, um, but but you got to pull back the reins. You got to say well, we got to make sure that we're making the, the you know consistent disciples, not just many. It's not again, it's not a numbers thing. It's consistency.
2: Do you have a like you say a clear definition and then a means by which you're going to create that kind of person, and then people have an opportunity to become a part of that.
3: Well, yeah, absolutely, and and so you know, in in your wise words, though, we don't we don't announce the revolution; we just begin. Mm-hmm. We have full definitions, and then through the Bonhoeffer Project, we created our discipleship flow process, which was, um, again, it's probably the, the the thing that I liked the most about the Bonhoeffer Project when I first took it was just to help me wrestle through what does it mean to be a disciple? Um, what does the Bible say about discipleship? And then how do I get people to come in and follow me as I follow Christ through the process? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we've started, um, and and it's funny, we just had a group that met over at my house this last weekend, 30, 30 or so people at the house, and they're eager for it. And they're like, what do we do? And I said, well, hold on, let's talk, right? There's this slow methodical process, because again, part of even what Jesus did with his disciples, You know, you got to count the cost. Are you ready to follow me? Lay down your nets, lay down everything that you got and follow me. So yeah, we have a great process here. Um, For us, it's about a 10 month process um, of getting people in scripture memorizations, going through the Bible, going through several books. um, And to be honest with you, the biggest thing is just doing life with someone. It's, It's, again, there's a lot of good that comes from doctrine, theology and materials and reading the Bible, but there's a lot that comes from just doing life with someone. So you've got to invest into people, not just into a curriculum.
1: Exactly. So do you guys consider, and Bill, why don't you take this one first? Do you consider non-discipleship to be disobedience? Tell me why you answer the way you do.
2: Well, I think uh, non-discipleship is Well, it's a high cost, first of all. It's a higher cost than the cost of discipleship because of what you lose that you don't really know you're lost. You've lost a life. You've lost the calling of God in your life. You've lost the blessings of God. Your children, your grandchildren, your relatives, your friends, your associates, everybody is poor for it. And in a church where it's a, we live in a conversion culture where we've trained people to think, well, conversion is what happens. Instead of saying making disciples and letting converts happen, we've made converts and let discipleship happen. And that's to be haphazard and, and uh, the passivity and the uh, lackadaisical laxa, aspect of that. So, the, the, yes, it's a sin because it's a sin, it's a leadership sin. It's a sin of selling out to other methods, programs, techniques, that want, that get you to what is the jewel in the crown of modern evangelicalism, which is a large church. Uh, large enough that you can... Um, Stand up in front and preach sermons, and people love your, you know, your sermons, and you can preach these gourmet sermons, and you get a lot of positive feedback. And then you take, uh, you say, well, let's have small groups or let's have discussion groups, and they can talk about my sermon. And then, you know, then we we'll just kind of let it flow from there. To me, that's non-discipleship. It, it's, it's not that, you know, the word of God never returns void. Uh, the word of God is always doing some work, and there's always going to be somebody who breaks from the pack and who gets really serious. But then the general, the general sense of the pack is that we're we're saved, we're going to heaven, we're golden, we're good. Keep it in your back pocket because you'll have to show it at the door when you get to the pearly gates. But Uh, You don't necessarily have to live it out. You don't have to pay the high price. You don't have to do all those things. And that makes everybody poor. And for that, I think that is poor leadership and that's poor shepherding, that's poor pastoring. And so I see it primarily as a leadership sin, a cultural sin in the church environment.
1: So, Dan, what happens, and this, this does happen in churches uh, often. A lot of the folks that we talk to have been in this setting. What happens when the senior guy knows that discipleship needs to happen, but he hands that off to somebody else on his team or on his staff? What What is the danger of that in a church?
3: I think there's a couple of dangers. The first one is if you don't see as a senior leader your role as the lead disciple maker mm-hmm. everyone in your church will see that it's you can get to a level where you don't need to make disciples anymore and i think that really explains to a lot of people the mentality even though we we in the church world we explain that, you know, being the senior pastor, lead pastor is the bottom of the pyramid, right? We're the servant of all. We're saying that with our words, but we're not saying that with our lives. We're not really serving all. We have people for that. And I think that really sends the message that it's really not about disciple making. Um, It's become another uh, shtick, another program, another buzzword, another... Um, a la carte menu item that someone can choose to do, like Bill said, if you if you really feel like you're in, if you if you you don't want just Christian light, you want to get in, you want to dig in, you can go to Christianity 201. You could take the graduate level class, and this is discipleship. Um, it it continually makes discipleship seem optional, and if it's optional to the senior pastor. It will be optional to everyone in the church.
1: Mm-hmm. Bill, what would you say if you were uh, standing in front of a group of senior pastors that were on the fence about discipleship for their church? What would you say to them? How would you challenge or encourage them to step up and step in? Because there are plenty of of pastors and church leaders uh, who are on the fence about discipleship because it is slow and because it takes a lot of time and energy? What would you say to them?
2: Well, I would say that if uh, if you haven't been able to stick with things, it really speaks to the condition of one's soul. Mm-hmm. And I think of the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And... Uh, If I want a lot of stuff, then conversely, the Lord is not my shepherd or I'm not allowing him to be my shepherd because he makes me lay down in green pastures. He uh, makes me, you know, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Uh, He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So the idea is that it's about who you are as a person and are you the real deal would you be uh, I would talk to him like that another way I'd talk to him is if you if you weren't paid to go to church would you and would you be a good member uh, would you be involved or is this just a job and that you might just need to go out in the other another field of endeavor and, and uh, really dedicate yourself to that just like you do to this. But really what you're doing is trying to meet your own needs. So those are the kinds of things I would start with. I think the second thing I would say, okay, let's reverse engineer Matthew 28. It says, go make disciples of all, you know, first of all, are you a disciple? Uh, meaning, I think that disciples are born to be made. I think theologically that's true, that we're born, and then we are made into the full person that a disciple is. And, and that's why the target is a disciple instead of a convert. But here, I would start saying, okay, it says here, uh, make them, make disciples of every nation or every ethnic group and so you're going to have to have new disciples, lots of new, lots of new ones, and you're going to have to have a lot of them. And that you're going, so you're going to have to have newer ones. You're going to have to make many more disciples. And so may may I ask you, do you have new disciples? How many new adult disciples do you have in your church? And not how many kids in Sunday school raise their hand, but how many adult Disciples, new disciples are there? You, have you had many disciples? Are they mature disciples? Are they multiplying disciples? And so I would say, I'd say, start looking at that and reverse engineer it. And that will tell me if indeed you're making disciples. But like Dan said, you have to be the first one out of the gate and lead the way. Follow me means you're going somewhere and oftentimes when we say follow me it really means to another meeting or down the hallway to my office that can't excite very many
0: people i want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org it's our discipleship.org collective it's an online community for disciples and disciple makers And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, eBooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today.
1: So Dan, you have recently within the last few years, um, taken on this mantle of stepping into uh as as the senior leader into personal discipleship being discipled you've allowed bill to disciple you for these last few years Um, what what is the value of that of the discipleship that you get from uh from bill or be it from anybody else that you choose to allow to disciple you
3: you know, I think one of the great things about being under Bill and and to be honest with you, being under leaders who get this when when I discovered my passion for disciple making. And again, it's not that uh, like I found something new. I think I was just surprised that it's always been there in Scripture, but I, I've failed to see my role in it because I was never actively discipled. And and I don't put that, uh, uh, there was a lot of people that discipled me. I was discipled by the word, the Holy Spirit, right? But there was no one that ever said, hey, you, let's go follow me as I follow Christ. And I think there was something almost like I missed out on something because as I've been in church for a long time, I can't tell you how many guys – I've been a men's group pastor or men's pastor. I've pastored youth, uh, college age. I mean, you name it. I've had dozens, hundreds of young men, older men say, hey, would you disciple me? And because there was a, a loose definition, I didn't really know what that meant. So all that to say, since I met Bill and, and really delved into this beautiful world, like to be honest with you, the Bible makes more sense. I mean, no joke. The Bible makes more sense when you're reading it from the standpoint of our mission. Jesus didn't say, hey, your mission is to be a good Christian. Hey, make sure your church attendance is on point. Only miss for when you're sick, or, or, you know, and if you're gonna miss, make sure you watch it online. That's not his goal. Um, in fact, the goal of of, of a disciple, like it's, it's one of the things that the Lord really showed me through Bill, through this process that I went through in my own cohort was I need to stop focusing as a pastor on building a church or even building the capital C church Jesus says very clearly in his word, it's his church and he's going to build it. My job as a pastor and leader is to make disciples. So my focus is to make disciples. Jesus builds the church. And that even goes for ministries. I think many churches, pastors, ministry leaders is something Bill shared with me as well. Focus in on making ministry. But the problem is you're putting the cart before the horse because it's disciples who do ministry. So focus on making disciples. Then ministry happens as a byproduct of making disciples. So we've got to make sure that we're we're, we're doing things in the right order. And Bill, he's done this long enough. He's already gone through all of the pitfalls. Like he's headed me off at the past several times. Like, well, already been down that road, actually wrote a book on it. Um, So it's, it's even things that I've wrestled with internally that even when I've asked Bill, he's like, yeah, I addressed that in my book over here. And yeah, I tried to do that in my church over here. And so there is this invaluable, what it is, it's a jumpstart for me. It's, it's, I feel like I've gotten 20 years of, of just wisdom and, and pitfall avoidance simply in the first few years of being a disciple making leader and just recognizing the call. So it's, it's invaluable. I feel like I've gotten a a rocket booster and it got lit and it shot me into this, this orbit that I was like, wow, I never knew this existed and it's stuff that I wouldn't be doing now had it not been uh, for that wisdom that came from Bill and and many within this organization.
1: So what I hear you saying is that it's, it's, important and critically important for a leader to find somebody who's farther along than they are to disciple them I mean that's absolutely it seems so simple but so many leaders think well I've got this I can I can do this I don't I don't need any help I don't you know and or I don't have time that's a key because it is time consuming and and the slow life so right um, so I, I thank you for sharing that. That wasn't on our uh, list of topics that we were going to discuss, but I just think it's important for us to to encourage leaders to find the person who can disciple them. We should all be in that level of, of relationship. So, Bill, what do you think is going to happen to the Big C Church if we don't get serious about discipleship?
2: I think that we'll continue to uh, decline and uh, and we'll become uh, more absorbed into the culture. Uh, More of our great cathedrals around the country will become museums where people charge admission to go in and look at the windows and the pipe organs and the polished pews. And this will happen even in some of our interdenominational megachurches, which will be a shadow of once what they once were, because we found it irrelevant. You know, people find it irrelevant; they find it uh, not really slicing through the culture or helping in any way. And I think that the way you, but you can turn it around, and I, I'm very hopeful uh, that this can be turned around. By wave after wave of young people who are getting in who are serious followers of Jesus. And I mean by serious, they're willing to go out and live. Like in Matthew thirteen, Jesus said, "The kingdom of God is like a field of wheat where there is wheat and there are tares. And where we go and and he said, The wheat and the tares are so closely interwoven that no person can really tell except with a trained eye. In fact, he'll call his elect angels to sort out one from the other. That that's not even our role is to say, you're in, you're out. What our role is, is to to be there and living in, in an integrated life with the people where we live, work, and play and to... Be like uh, our friend Dallas Willard says that the way you get Christ into a movie studio or into an executive's uh, office building or into the school board or into the actor's studio or into anything, any part of our culture, nothing to be excluded, is go in and sit down. And when you've gone in and sit down as a disciple of Jesus, the kingdom of God has arrived, and the kingdom of God is the realm where his will is being done. And if his will is being done in your life, you're going to be salt, you're going to be light, you are going to have an effect, you're going to love those people as Christ loved the world, and that is what will melt the heart of the world. When people are desperate and they're hurting, and they've given up hope, and when they meet somebody... Who has hope? They gravitate toward them. It's magnetic. It is
1: magnetic. Dan. That's what I believe in. hmm I, I believe that too. Uh, which is why we do what we do in the Bonhoeffer Project. I think, Dan, do you have more to add to that? I don't.
3: I listen. That was that was phenomenal because yeah. it is. Uh, Bill says in many of his writings that a disciple is the gift to the world. That is what God gave to this world isn't converts, but disciples. Yeah. And even was I was reading this morning, um, just in scripture, you know, as Jesus gave a, a tough word, he gave a hard word in John chapter six, and it says people walked away, you know, so it's, uh, people will, will show their true colors, right? There's not going to be fruit or there's going to be a tree and it's going to have bad fruit. It's not our job to dissect and to put into baskets every bit of fruit. We gotta keep preaching the gospel. We gotta keep preaching disciple making. We gotta make disciples who understand we're not calling you to a program. We're calling you to a lifestyle. And that's one of the things that I stress to my church and I stress to my leaders. I'm not asking you to do a program for a year. I'm asking you to do this the rest of your life. And that has changed the mindset. And when that happens, as Bill said, that will change the culture. It's one disciple at a time.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I like that idea that oftentimes when you start talking about getting more serious spiritually, Mm -hmm. what people really interpret that to mean because it's always meant this, is you want more of my time. Mm -hmm. And there might be some of that, but that reordering of time is a, a heart issue. And But really what I would simply say is, you know God doesn't want you to quit your job and and start serving him full time vocationally. No, all he wants you to do is he wants to transform what you're already doing in your with the time you have. He's, he wants you to go to work at the same time, drive the same way, go in there at the same time every day, sit down at your desk or whatever you do and he just wants to use all of that as his territory, as his habitat because you're there. And it might just be that you're working harder than other people or better or more honestly than other people. And you're doing it with a great attitude and people can tell the difference. Yeah.
1: I think sometimes we try to make it too hard to live the integrated life, right? We, You, you said that, Bill, an integrated life, and that's how we all need to live. Uh, in our faith walk, and I think we just try to make it too hard, and so people think they can't attain it, when it really is as simple as surrendering to Christ and being in the moment with people, with the Holy Spirit, being in, being present with them, and and I think that's that's where discipleship begins, is in that place of presence. It begins for us in the place of presence of, with the Holy Spirit. But then in that place with like-minded people, which is why it's why I so appreciate what discipleship.org does. And, and I appreciate them giving us opportunities to, to share a heartbeat with other people, but we bring folks together who are like-minded on this disciple first journey, understanding that we um, we have a responsibility as Christians. And I think that for me, that's part of what's happening in our world is that people don't want to take responsibility for their own stuff, right?
2: Yeah, you, know, you know, one of the great, beautiful things about discipleship.org and, and our organization and others is that we know each other, mm-hmm. uh, that we're on the same page. We're, And, you know, for people my age, back when I first started writing about this and as a past, very young pastor, teaching about making disciples and so on, one of the interesting things was there were no books on it except by Robert Coleman and, and other people, you know, that were out were, were professors or they were parachurch leaders. And that's where all the literature was. And I started writing from a pastoral point of view about making disciples, because there was there was a general consensus of people in the parachurch organizations that you couldn't make disciples in the local church. I mean, that was what I was told again and again and again. And I said, well, if it doesn't work there, it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so we got to make it work. And so that's what I set out on my quest to do. And that's been over 30 years ago, uh, 40 years now. And, And the thing was that there were no national conferences about discipleship. Nobody talked about making disciples. They were talking about everything else, but that, and it wasn't essentially until discipleship.org formed this national conference that's coming up in the first week in November in Nashville. It wasn't until then that we really had a conference among disciple making first community together, where we could get together and encourage one another, learn from one another, and know that, hey, we're not all crazy. Uh This is really what the Bible is saying, and it's spreading. It's spread all over the body of Christ. And so now uh, we just want to take advantage of this window that God has given to us, this pathway forward. And so I'm very excited about what's going to happen in November, and we want people to sign up and be there. And uh, we might have to wear a mask. I don't know yet. You know, you might have to wear a snorkel, but I'm going. (laughs) Yes, it's clear bon- up here. Right yeah, there. Exactly, yeah. yeah.
1: So the Bonhoeffer project also has a one-day event if you uh, are interested in joining us on the day before on November 3rd so you can find out more about that on our website thebonhoefferproject.com but Dan would you share with the folks who are listening um, a first step to help them move toward implementing discipleship in their context. Like what, what did you receive in the Bonhoeffer project that made it valuable for you?
3: You know what? I, I'm going to say something and it's, and it's maybe a little different than maybe even the answer that you you're hoping or, or, or the, the answer that most people want.
0: You but
3: need to be honest my, with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, you need to be honest with yourself. Um, you need to take an honest look at your ministry and, and honestly determine because i think one of the greatest things as leaders we can do is we can lie to ourselves again satan's the great deceiver and he wants churches that are ineffective that are big that have lots of people but everyone's so nominal that they're not they're not doing anything for the kingdom and so the greatest thing that a leader can do is to be honest with themselves and and determined, you know, because a lot of us can say, and I think all of us at one point thought, yeah, yeah, I'm making disciples. And then you ask yourself another one: what, what, where are they? Are they following you? Are are they more like Christ today than they were when you found them? Um, and then you start getting to that place where I got to, where you start having to take a holistic look at your ministry and start recognizing, man, we need to be more intentional about it because it's been real passive for a long time. And don't give people the option to say, "Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe later I'll get into that." Let them know how critical it is to be part of the body of
1: Christ. Yeah. yeah. So we at the Bonhoeffer Project have a process that we take you through, and uh, we've all been through it. Bill created it. Um, as As we walk through ten months of determining uh, what Jesus' gospel is and what a disciple is and how how we get back to scripture, the scriptural definition of what a disciple is, and then creating a flow process that works in your context, because we understand that nothing's cookie cutter in this world. What works for you guys in California is not going to work in Florida. It's just not going to happen. And so, um, so we take you through a process that helps you work for your context, whether it's in the church or as a lay leader, or in your workplace, discipleship happens, as As you've heard today, discipleship happen, happens everywhere that we are. And so if you're interested, we'd love to have some conversation with you about what we do at the Bonhoeffer Project. We, we believe that you must count the cost of discipleship. We believe that it's a slow process, mm-hmm. and everything that we do points in that direction. So you can... Um, Email at info at the Bonhoeffer project.com. And uh, the info comes directly to me. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Any one of us would love to have conversations with you about, about what we do and how we do it and, and where, um, um, where you can get started in that place, because it really is about the first step, right? Taking that first step to say, man, I need something. I need something because what I've got is not working. Anything else, gentlemen, before we close out our time together?
2: No, I'm happy that we've had this time together and uh, I could uh, sing a song or, you know.
1: No. I'm going to Nashville and
2: write a song before I get there because I want to be a songwriter.
1: But if you get to do the song, then I get to do the hoedown.
2: Oh, okay. That's a
3: deal. deal. Neither. Neither. We're going to stop right there. No, I I will say this. I want to add this just to kind of an addendum to what I even just said. It's, there's a lot of great curriculums out there. And I want to say that uh, curriculum, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think all that stuff is awesome. But don't start with your curriculum. Start with the culture in your church. Start with looking at where the culture's at. And that is one of the things that the Bonhoeffer Project does. It helps you to formulate what kind of culture you're trying to create through definitions, through the discipleship flow process, through really understanding all that discipleship entails. And so don't start with finding a good curriculum. Find what culture you're trying to create and then go from there.
1: All right. Well, Bill and Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you to Bobby and discipleship.org and his crew for having us and uh, just allowing us to share a little bit of our heart we hope we'll hear from you soon and we hope to see you in nashville in november we'll talk soon thanks
0: thanks so much for listening i hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as i did and as they mentioned they have a gathering on november 4th here in nashville just want to remind you that is actually the day before the National Making Forum begins, November 4th and 5th, which is Discipleship.org's gathering. Make sure you go to Discipleship.org and purchase your tickets so you can be involved in that. It's going to be a great one this year. It was really weird to not have one in person last year. So really looking forward to having that and looking forward to seeing you there as well. All right, y'all. Have a great day. I'll see you on the next episode.